Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We started last week walking through this told you last week it's been a difficult book for me to study and understand. And so, uh, you know, I, I think we can be encouraged. Uh, I know I have been. The beginning of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, asserts that there is a creator God that is distinct from creation. We are his, we are his created beings who he loves dearly. The goal of our lives is to live in such a way that honors and glorifies him. The Bible continues to teach that life isn't just some series of random events, but that God is sovereignly ruling over everything that happens. And all that happens, all of life's happenings are used to help us depend on the Lord to such a degree that relying on Him is actually used by Him to make us more like Himself. This process of sanctification actually gives our Creator glory. And that's our goal, right? Is to give Him glory and honor. But some disregard these truths and they seek to live their lives looking for meaning elsewhere. That is what's happening here in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we have a qualified teacher, Solomon. Remember from last week? He's the wisest man that ever lived. He's on a quest to answer life's toughest questions. What gives our lives meaning and purpose? And Solomon, he seems somewhat pessimistic at times as you're reading, as David was reading. I know some of you are thinking, man, what is this about? He's pessimistic, and sometimes he even seems to contradict himself. But this is wisdom literature, as I said last week. And we can't lose the forest for the trees. We should keep in mind Solomon's conclusion. Look at chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Let's read that together. As we're reading this, lit- this type of literature, we have to remember... What is the conclusion? Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So that is Solomon's conclusion. We should obey the Lord because judgment is coming. That is his conclusion. So as we study this, We need to keep that in mind. And the overall theme seems to be that life without God is meaningless. But what about us believers? I think even for us believers, this book teaches us, the theme of this book for believers is that life is difficult. It's frustrating. We can relate to that, can't we? If we've lived uh, a few years, life's frustrating, even for believers. Last week we looked at chapter 1 and we saw that there is not one aspect of life that is not frustrated by futility. That's Solomon's observation. Solomon is experimenting. Everything that people look to to give them meaning in life, he's going to test. Solomon is using all the wisdom God gave him, and he makes some conclusions about possessions, about wealth and riches, also about pleasure, knowledge, work. All of those things prove to be empty. Vanity. 
And remember last week we talked about vanity. That word in, the, in this book of Ecclesiastes has a, has a really broad meaning. It doesn't mean what we think it means in modern day use of the word vain. But it means meaningless. It means purposeless. It means um, emptiness. It means, at times, it even means absurd. But anytime you see the word vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes, what you can insert there is that it doesn't satisfy. So anytime you hear that, that word vanity, what his meaning is, it doesn't satisfy. He said in chapter 1 that the newness of things, they don't bring fulfillment. We talk about the cycles of life, right? It's, it's so mundane. What happens? We get bored. Nothing's new. We get something new. What happens? After a while, we get tired of it, right? We talk about new songs. You love, oh, this is your favorite song. In two months, you'll probably hate that song, right? And you'll have another new song that you love. Uh, newness wears out things that are new. They don't satisfy us. And the second point from last week is that what about if we have a lot of wisdom and, and, and a lot of intellect? Does that change the monotony of life? And what does Solomon answer? He answered a resounding no. Because he's the wisest man who ever lived, right? And he says, having intellect doesn't change things. This monotony of life, it just bores us. It's vanity. It's all chasing after the wind. Well, some Christians, uh, you know, we're criticized sometimes. Criticized by the, by the world, by the media. Uh, and some of you have experienced this. Sometimes you get blasted because you give up temporal pleasures and you spend a lot of time at church. People say, man, you're giving up a lot, of, a lot of time. You're giving up all these things you could be doing, all this fun. For what? And then, and then other people say, what about all the money? Man, you're giving all this money to the church and the missions and, and outreach and you're helping the poor. You could be using that money to benefit yourself. Why would you give it all away? Well, today we're going to look at life apart from God. In fact, last week, do you remember, as we studied, the name of God is not mentioned one time. In fact, today, almost the entire chapter will get there before you even see the word God. Life apart from God is, is empty. But today, we're going to turn that on its head, and we're going to see that that lifestyle, that lifestyle where one seeks meaning in life, their purpose in life apart from God, it's going to be scrutinized today. Okay? So let's look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Several things we can learn from this text. The first thing is that hedonism isn't the answer to, life, isn't the answer to life's questions. Hedonism isn't the answer to life's questions. Now remember so Solomon, he's a qualified teacher. He's qualified to have these experiments to see which of these activities can satisfy us. Because why? He's a king over a nation that's at peace. Remember, his father David was a king of war. He was a warrior. Solomon is at peace. He reigned for 40 years over Israel, and the whole time there wasn't a battle. They were at peace. He also had wisdom like no other. He also had time on his hands. Well, what do kings do? They, they go to battle. In Old Testament days. Well, if there's no battle to be fought, what do you do? Well, just find something else to do. He has time. But he also has wealth and money, right? To be able to spend all this money and all this wealth in seeking satisfaction in the things the world promotes. Hedonists, they're those who hold to the thought that seeking pleasure is the highest good. It's our goal in life is to seek pleasure. It's all about doing what feels good. 
Do what you want to do. Whatever feels good, do it. And so Solomon, he brought in the greatest comedians. Look at verse 2. He brought in the greatest comedians, didn't he? He brought in the greatest wines. Brought in wines by the barrelful. What did he conclude? It didn't, didn't satisfy, did it? I mean, think about Robin Williams, right? It was funny. He was a funny fellow. Hilarious. But yet he ended his own life. Why? Because laughter doesn't, doesn't satisfy our deepest longing or deepest need. What about wine and liquor? Some of you know this from experience. Does it satisfy? Doesn't. Does it? Because it wears off. And you've got to do it all over again. Right? And that's what Solomon concluded. And notice this, he's, he's self-absorbed, right? He's talking about I, I, I. He's going all out trying to find satisfaction in all these things that most people look to for satisfaction. But hedonism isn't the answer. Seeking after pleasure, after pleasure, after pleasure, it doesn't satisfy. The second thing we learn from this text in verse 4 through 11 is that our work and our possessions don't satisfy either. He tests this by working to see if he could satisfy his deepest longings. And think about it. We love a job well done, don't we? I love to see a finished product. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. Uh, before that, I was a, uh, a missionary doing the same work, just in a different context. But you don't have a lot of tangible results. You know, some of you, some of you lay asphalt. Some of you build houses, right? Some of you work on cars. Uh, some of you uh, teach school. Some of you... Uh, you have all these different kind of jobs. But sometimes when we get finished with work, we just want to see a tangible result. We just want to see, look, look what I've done. And, and as a pastor, we don't get to see that very often. You just don't see a lot of tangible results, you know. And so I like to spend my days, on my days off especially, doing things like uh, building chicken coops. Uh, Mr. Elbert, Miss Judy Starnes, they, uh, they gave us some chickens. Um, and they had too many. And so we wanted some chickens. And so these last few days, my kids and dad, he helped us. We, we built a chicken coop. But you know, there was just something about, you can come to my house and see it. It's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> but it's something about this chicken coop. When you get finished, you step back and you say, man, we just built that thing, man. We just got it done. And look, there's a, a chicken coop. You know, and the kids went out this morning. They were all excited. We got some eggs, bro, Jim. We got eggs, man. Got like four eggs. So I wanted to tell your mom and daddy, we, we had four eggs this morning. Um, but we want to be able to see, you know, the finished product, right? And so that's what Solomon did. He, he built things. Uh, he built incredible things. He poured his energy into working and building. And, and he lists all these things that he's built. And then he, he had incredible possessions, didn't he? Look at verse 7. Slaves and, and cattle. In verse 8, gold and silver. He accumulated all these things around them, Right? And in verse 8, it said he also had a harem, right? That would make Hugh Hefner blush. We're told elsewhere that Solomon had 700 wives. Some folks think that might be a good thing. Me, I sound like that's, that's horrible. Uh, 700 wives. And then, on addition to that, concubines, right? And, uh, but think about, think about this, men. Even a harem couldn't meet the deepest need in his heart. He couldn't satisfy. He couldn't satisfy. And it's funny how marketing today 
in our culture and advertising. That's what all these things always promise to have your needs met. And uh, buy this product and you'll be satisfied or whatnot. But really, not very many things in life satisfy us. Solomon worked hard and he played hard. He's the expert, if you will, on hedonism. He is the, the ultimate hedonist. Look at verse 10. But what was his conclusion? And whatever my eyes desired to do, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. Behold, all was vanity. Remember, what do we think of when we hear that word vanity? It doesn't satisfy. All is vanity and a striving after the wind. You said last week it's like on a cold morning when you, when you're, you hear your breath. And you try to capture that, right? You can't do it, right? It's elusive, right? It's a, it's a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon says hedonism. It isn't the answer. Seeking after pleasure. It doesn't satisfy you. Working. Work doesn't satisfy Acquiring possessions doesn't satisfy our deepest longing. And thirdly, look at verse 12 through 23. A good legacy won't satisfy either. Notice to Solomon, he's not saying here that being foolish is better than being wise. That's not what he's saying. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can a man do who comes after the king on what has been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness. He's not saying that, you know, it, it, it's, you might as well just be foolish. No, he's saying no wisdom is better than being foolish. Because what does a foolish person do? The foolish person, they don't work but they expect to be paid, right? And then when they're paid, what do they do? They use their money. They squander it, right? And then they complain because they're broke. That's the fool. Yeah, that's not good. That's not helpful. But what does the wise man do? Having wisdom's better. What do wise people do? They, they work hard. They're responsible. They earn their keep, Right? They treat people well. The fool, the fool treats people horribly. And then they want to know why no one wants to spend time with them, right? But what does the wise person do? Wise people, they treat people like they want to be treated. The golden rule, right? They follow the golden rule. Do to others, you have to do to you. And that's what the wise person does. It's better, far better, to be wise than to be foolish. But what, what drives Solomon crazy is what he says in the following verses. Is that the fool and the wise person, they have the same fate. We all have hard times, right? Jesus says that. Right? The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Yeah. So you have a fool, he goes through hard times. But guess what? The wise person has hard times too. We all attest to that, right? But the same fate happens to them all. And what is that? That's death, right? Psalm 49, verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid all alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Edgar Allan Poe, I don't know if any of you are into poetry, but he's kind of a, uh, a melancholy fellow. But he wrote a poem called The Conquering Worm. And this poem is really interesting because his parents were actors. And so he wrote this five stanza poem. And it, the, life of the, it, the poem is like a, a, a play. And the actors, they're performing before angels who know the fate of each one. And in the end, it said, 
Who is the hero of the story? It says the worm is. Because he's the one who's left. And the worm represents, of course, death in this poem. Uprising, unveiling, affirms that the play is the tragedy. Man, he says. And the hero is the conquering worm. See, death is not a respecter of persons. So the foolish and the wise, Solomon says, they all have the same fate. It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. Look at verse 16, 17. For the wise, <clears throat> as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun is grievous to me, for all is vanity. What do we think of when we think of when hear vanity? It doesn't satisfy. <clears throat> and a striving after the wind. See, no one's going to remember us in two generations. Let me, let me test you real quick. How many of you know the name A.L. Partain? Anybody? Anybody know that name? Nobody? That's interesting. That's the man who helped start this church. What about Eddie Prather? We've got a couple hands. Oh, we've got three fingers up. No Eddie Prather. There's three of us here that know Eddie Prather. He was the first pastor of this church, helped start this church uh, some, what, 60 years ago? But yet, 99.9% of us, we don't even know who those people are. We don't even know the name. Never heard of them, right? Yeah, they helped start these churches. Nobody's going to remember us, right? Two generations. We'll all be forgotten. It's all vanity, Solomon says. Doesn't satisfy. It doesn't make sense. Let's look at verse 18 through 23. <clears throat> Let's read that together. We haven't read this, this text. I didn't want to overwork Dave, so I'm going to read some of this. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by who? By someone who did not toil for it. This also is a vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. See, part of the, work, the reason that why our work and our possessions don't satisfy is because sometimes we work real hard to accumulate something, right? And to leave an inheritance to, to somebody, to our children, to our grandchildren. We accumulate this estate and we leave it to people who don't care about it at all. And in a matter of years, it's squandered. It's all blown on what? Solomon had this happen to him. This is prophetic. Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Solomon was a man of, of he had peace for 40 years. Great ruler, great leader. And he has all of this, and he leaves it to Rehoboam. An idiot. A complete idiot. Read the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 10. Within a matter of two or three years, this kingdom that Solomon ruled was torn in half. The nation of Israel split the northern and southern kingdom because of Rehoboam, his son. And so all that he had accomplished in two or three years was gone to pie. 
Solomon says hedonism isn't the answer. Working and acquiring possession doesn't satisfy us either. He says even a good legacy won't satisfy us because we're going to be forgotten and all that we've accumulated is going to be gone like that, most likely, by our children that don't appreciate it. Who aren't responsible, and we know that isn't always the case, but that was the case in Solomon. With Solomon, let's look at verse 24 to 26. <clears throat> there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to this one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give it. To one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving <clears throat> after when this is Solomon's conclusion. Seeking pleasure is not totally wrong. It, it's, it's okay to enjoy life. But replacing God with pleasure is wrong and unfulfilling. So, last point. Seek pleasure in God. See, Solomon, he's not saying to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. No, he's not in despair totally. He's saying that we should enjoy the good thing God, God gives us. We aren't hedonists, right? We don't just seek pleasure. That's not our ultimate goal. But I think it's right to enjoy God's graces, the things He gives us, enjoy our spouse, our, enjoy our wives and husbands and our children. We should enjoy things in life. But what Solomon is saying here is that we need to bring back God back into the equation. See, up to this point, you've seen I and me and myself. It's all about him. It's all about Solomon. He's self-absorbed. And he hasn't mentioned God. This is the first time he mentions the Lord's name. That's Solomon's point, right? Without God, our lives have no purpose. We need to realize that all good things come from the Lord. And he is providentially fulfilling his purposes. Think about your life, the things you're going through, the things that's happened. You have a sovereign God who's ruling over all those things, good things and bad. We need to look outside ourselves, right? And know that this life is not just about me and you. When we're self-absorbed, seeking meaning in life from our work, from our money, from our possessions, from our estate, from our pleasures, we'll be dissatisfied. Solomon's conclusions here. Hedonism isn't the answer. Seeking pleasure. Our work and our possessions, they don't satisfy us. A good legacy doesn't either. He concludes, seek pleasure in God. So how do we apply that? What's that mean for each of us today? Well, to the unbeliever, you say, well, what do you mean by unbeliever? The person who's yet to repent and trust Christ. The person who's not following Jesus. The person whose life goal isn't to give God glory. That's who I'll talk to first. To the unbeliever who's been seeking meaning and purpose in life by looking to yourself, I want to encourage you. Realize God created you to have a relationship with Him. That's why you're created. To know Him and to live for Him. Given glory. But the Bible says that we're sinful. 
We've all rebelled against the Lord, and because of that, we're all separated. Our relationship, we're, we're made for a relationship with God. That's His purpose. But because of our sin, our relationship has been broken. We don't have a relationship with God. We don't communicate with God. We don't know Him. The Bible says because of that, God must punish us. Because not only is God a loving God, He does love us, but God is also just. And He has to punish sinners. And the Bible says that He'll do that. When we all die, which we all will, we had a funeral this last week, didn't we? Sweet sister went to be with the Lord. And I always tell people at funerals, you know what? This is where we see everybody. We don't see each other much, right? You see people that you haven't seen in years, but when you see them, it's always at the funeral home. And I always tell people when I preach at funerals, you know what? We'll be back up here before too long. Maybe next week, maybe next month. But we'll be back up here, right? Death's coming. And when we die, there has to be judgment. Why? Because God is just. He has to punish sinners. And the truth of the matter is, the Bible says that we all sin and we all deserve His punishment. And when we die, we'll be separated from God for all eternity in hell, where He'll pour out His wrath upon us. And that is good and right, because we're sinful and rebellious towards Him. And that's the bad news. And for people who are separated from God, what do they do? They look for meaning in life in, in whatever. Pleasure, work, anything and everything but Him. I remember a 17-year-old boy thinking there's got to be more life than this. Maybe some of you today, you're thinking that. Lord, there's got to be more life than what I have. And maybe you have everything going for you. I did. Life wasn't, I wasn't going through tragedy. I was just living life as a 17-year-old boy. Got to be more life than this. There he is. There's, there's life in relation to God. See, the bad news is that He must punish sinners, which we all are. But the good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus. He became a man and He obeyed the law that we couldn't obey. And He took our punishment. He was punished for us. He was punished in our place. So we wouldn't have to be. And He, he died and he, he was buried on the third day. He rose from the grave to conquer sin and death for us. And the Bible says that if we'll repent, repent of our sins, we'll turn from our sin and we'll trust that Jesus did die for us and He did take our place and He did rise on the third day from the grave. The Bible says that He'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why we were created, to know Him. So when you say, God, be more life in this. There He is. There's a life in relation to God, the created universe who loves you and wants you to know Him. Repent and enjoy the feeling of His pleasure. You know, I want to tell you something. If, you're, if you've never repented, if you repent of your sin and trust Jesus, that doesn't mean that all your problems are going to go away. In fact, they're probably going to be compounded in, in some aspects. But you know, when you know the Lord and your relationship with Him, even the most mundane things in life, you can have pleasure in. Isn't that true, believer? Even just the mundane, routine things in life, and you can, you can do those things and you can feel God's pleasure as you do them. 
repent today and trust Jesus. I'm going to prepare you to do that. Tell God you're a sinner and you need Him. And you're tired of living for you. Tell Him you want Him to forgive you. And you're to follow Him. That's to the unbeliever. What about believer? What about for us? Well, I think we can use this text to motivate and encourage us to resist the temptation to seek satisfaction in the things the world offers. The things that the world holds important. Believer, you've tasted. You've seen that the Lord is good. You've experienced His good pleasure. So I encourage you to resist that temptation to find significance in life and purpose in life in anything other than Jesus. And also for the believer, encourage you to enjoy the graces God gives us. It's good to enjoy those things. We should. You know, that's the thing. Apart from the Lord. If we leave the Lord out of our lives, we don't have His perspective. Man, it's just, it's just chasing after the wind, man. We're just doing life, doing life. It's like, man, it's just, there's no purpose in it. But when you repent and trust Jesus and know that all things are happening for our good and for His glory, man, it just makes life worth living. Don't forget that everything above hell is a privilege. See, that's God's perspective. We're going through life and we're just having a tough time. But we remember everything above hell is a privilege. Wow. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information and we'll see you next time.